Hello Gasheads and welcome to this episode of Gascast. I am your host Nino and joining me this evening is Mike. Hello, good evening. Good evening. And Kaz. Hello. Hello. Um, So as we record this pod, friend of the pod Nick Marathon Man Weeks has just finished his marathon number four of his seven in seven challenge and I'm assuming is probably knee deep in physiotherapy right now. So if you would like to donate to what is uh, an amazing effort by Weeksy, I'm sure we all agree, uh, with all the funds going to the Bristol Rovers Community Trust, then you can go to his Twitter page, which is at Weeksy11, um, and you can find the link to donate. Um, yeah, what he's doing is absolutely amazing. And he is finishing on the day of the Portsmouth game, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Go and check that out and uh, donate if you can. So since we last recorded, the Gas have played four games. So there was the 3-0 win away at Oxford, the 0-0 draw at home to Barnsley, the 3-1 win away at Forest Green, and then the 2-0 loss at home to Wickham last night. Um, So Mike, I'll come to you first. Um, So obviously, yeah, we'd last recorded off the back of the 2-1 home defeat to Burton. And yeah, fair to say that things were a little bit moody on the, on the pod that week. And I think some of us were starting to look over our shoulders a little bit as we kind of slipped down the table closer towards the relegation zone. But I mean, ignoring last night, we'll come on to that later on. But in general, from the last four matches, seven points. And I think you've got to say it's kind of eased the pressure a little bit. And we're now looking a little bit more respectable in the table. Yeah, I think I think we've... Yeah, the last time we recorded, we were really starting to think, well, you know, this is a a bad time to have a a bad run of form right as you approach a kind of really tricky tail end to the season. Um, And we'll probably come on to like who who we've got coming. But um, there's some really big, big sides coming up and some big clubs coming up. So to lose to pretty much everybody in the bottom four and everybody who were struggling and and generally speaking a lot of them played us off the park you thought this could be this could be a really con- you know concerning time for us but to 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 their credit we've we've kind of turned it around we've just stopped the rot a little bit the oxford game was obviously impressive uh, you know to i mean they were also they, they, we found the one team who had a worse run of form than we did which was fortunate for us but we you know we we've that we needed that win, and then since then we've been better. We've you know Barnsley at home was okay as well. You know, non-eventful game, but you know we've just just steadied the ship a little bit. And then last night happened, but you know we'll we'll obviously come on to that. But yeah, I'm I'm feeling now like we're going to be okay, and it's just about getting getting to the end of the season. I think as soon as possible. Yeah, Kaz, I mean, as Mike said there, we, I remember after the Burton game, we were looking at the games coming up. So we, I think we've got 10 more league games now. And on paper, they all look really tough. And we were kind of looking at this little block of four that we've just played and thinking we could really do with getting some points out of these games. Because if this winless run that we were on at the time continues, then we're going to get to these last 10 and be thinking, fuck me, we're, we're really in trouble now. So it was important that we turned it around, but also I think it's not just the results that have turned around. I think the performances have also been 
a lot better. Maybe not quite at the level they were at when we were drawing with Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday, but we do look a little bit more like our old selves. And I would say even last night, although we lost, I would say the performance wasn't that bad against a pretty good side. So yeah, we just seem to have turned it around a little bit, don't we? Both in performances and results. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, because when it was getting to the point where <clears throat> where we were losing to Morecambe 5-1 um, and then we just felt like we couldn't buy a win, it, I was starting to panic a little bit that we're never going to reach that 50-point safety net. And um, it was crucial that we turned it around. And like you said, with how difficult this run of fixtures is in April, we cannot afford to lose those games um, against teams that are struggling. Um, and it is it is still quite worrying um, what the results are going to be in April. Um, I'm, I don't know where we're going to get points from. Um, but having said that, in true Rovers fashion, we are the type of side that would lose to the likes of Morecambe and other struggling sides, Accrington, um, but then get a result against a top top side like Ipswich and Barnsley. We managed to scrape a draw at home to them. Um, so I think we'll do it. I think we'll be safe. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be tough, and we just don't want to drop our heads and assume that we're safe and get sucked into a last minute relegation battle. I don't think we will, um, but we still have to keep our heads. And Gibson coming back has been a great addition for us as well. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can we can get get back to just having that solid, um, consistent start at eleven. Um, so yeah, let's hope that we could just scrape to the the safety fifty points. Yeah. So I want to do this pod a little bit differently from how we would usually do it, because usually we would chat about the most recent game first and go into depth on that. But I think it would be easy because we lost last night to focus on the negatives of last night and overlook the the three positive results and performances before that. So first of all, we're going to have a little chat about Oxford, Barnsley and Forest Green. And then after that, we're going to go on to Wickham. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I think there are, you look back at those three games, as we've already kind of touched on, there are lots of positives to take from those, uh, the two wins and then the draw against Barnsley. Um, I think both in terms of individual performances, you know, players finding form, returning to form, and also just as a team, um, we definitely saw steps in the right direction uh, before last night. And as I said, maybe even including last night, but we'll come on to that. But Mike, I want to start by chatting about the the defence, really, because obviously it was a part of the team that we were, I think, all quite concerned about, really, heading into that group of games with how we were shipping goals against, you know, some pretty average sides and getting smashed at Morecambe and <clears throat> places like that. And we were all a bit concerned, but Gibson has obviously come back into the side um, in this little run of games. And I just think he's made an absolute world of difference, hasn't he? And it's funny because I didn't, before he went out the side and he got injured, I didn't even, I mean, I rated him, but I didn't look at him and think this, this guy is crucial to our defense and he's, he needs to be playing every week. And That's when he, Connolly, right? yeah, exactly. At the time it was Connolly. And when Gibson went out, I thought it's a shame, but I don't think we'll miss him that much to be honest. But the difference he's made since he's come back is just enormous, isn't it? Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, he's, He's come in and suddenly other players around him, like Gordon, uh, Kwanzaa and Hall uh, as well, have, have really stepped up. Um, and I wonder whether it was a combination of things. I mean, Gibson, when he was here, uh, when he was playing alongside Thomas, I think both of them sort of looked a little bit um, dodgy at times. 
Um, and I just wonder whether it's it's one that he's come back, but also I think we've changed our approach to games a little bit. I think we're a little bit more cautious at the moment. I think um, you know, it's it's to it's to you know, we, we play we like to play on the front foot, but I think it was our undoing as well. I mean, we've scored a load of goals this season, conceded a load of goals, and that's fine. But I think there was a, a kind of move towards all right let's try and be sensible here because I, I i made the point a while ago about it, it almost didn't matter who we played at center half because we're they're playing so far up the pitch that long balls over the top it didn't matter who you had you could have you know virgil van dyke back there they, they'd just be pumping over his head and and it almost it wouldn't matter who was in goal hence why i, I don't really understand the whole belly balkum gate i don't know that should never really have been a thing um uh, equally, like Belchel's come back in, and people, you know, I've seen some people say Barnes a genius because he's got the best out. Of, uh, he's got the best out of Belchel. He's you he sent him a message. I just think it's absolute nonsense, absolute <laughs> nonsense, man. But you know, I, I just I think we we went on a you know, we we didn't win for seven games. We lost seven games in a row, whatever it was. I think largely because we took probably the most popular player out of the squad, you know, out of the team. But that's just me. But as for Gibson, I think he's he's come in and looked really, really good. Um, to the point, actually, I was watching him at times last night and I thought, I wonder if we could keep him because he's actually playing so well at the moment that you'd imagine he'd be he he himself might be thinking, I might be able to do better than this. But I think a lot of people imagine he might be a, a kind of an obvious choice in the summer. So I think that that'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I think you make a great point about how um, Gibson's come in and not only is playing well himself, but everyone around him has improved as well. Like Hall, I think before he unfortunately had to miss last night due to illness, I think he was having his best little run in the side that he's had probably all season, actually. I thought he was looking really, really good on that right-hand side. Um, and Quanza, who I talked about on the last pod that we did, I think that he, next to Gibson, has sort of even gone up another level and against Barnsley I thought he was absolutely brilliant um he reminded me I was chatting to my dad we were still in the Blackthorn watching that game and I turned to him partway through the second half and I was like Quance has reminded me of some of the Steve Elliott performances we used to get where Steve Elliott used to just stand in the center of the box and just head literally everything away and it was like he had a magnet in his head to the ball at times and he would just get his head on everything and Quance was like that and I really liked that from him because it's obvious what type of centre-back he is, where he's like silky, good on the ball, can bring it out. But to show that other side of his game as well, where he can be the like no-nonsense, head it, kick it away centre-back, I just think he's he's looked brilliant next to Gibson. Um, but yeah, to come back to another man who's come back into the side, Belshaw, I do think that everyone just feels so much calmer and more assured with him there. And it's like, it's settled the fans down, uh, it seems to have settled the defenders down and the whole team just looks, yeah, just assured and comfortable having him there. It just seems to have made a big difference, doesn't it, getting him back in the side? Yeah, I mean, you do wonder how much it upset the apple cart when he dropped him completely. It was absolute um, bollocks to drop him. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know the thought process behind it, but then it wasn't just dropping him, it was going on the radio and, and slating him and saying that he threw a tantrum and things like that when... Belly couldn't really defend themselves. But I think fans um, 
yeah, like you said, they do feel reassured now he's back in goal. Um, he, you know, I think he's been he's been good, but then we don't know if it's if it's Gibson, like because they've sort of both come back at the same time. Um, and defensively, we have looked better. And like you said, with Quanza, I didn't see the Barnsley game, but um, if Quanza's now starting to develop, um, then you know he's starting to settle in and and, the, and they're strengthening as a back line as a whole. Then yeah, maybe it's it's not Belly coming back and and Balcom perhaps might have had the same thing. But like we've always said before as well, we do bounce off each other the fans and the players and if the fans feel calmer then the players will feel calmer as well and it does feel like there's a bit of a a weight off everyone's shoulders just by having belly back between the sticks um but yeah I think I think credit to to the back line as well I think they've done a really good job I think it's it's only when I mean I would again as as you will famously remember I I I was a belly critic initially but it's only when he comes. I know you've got by. a Balcom shirt on tonight. Actually, yeah. that is controversial. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. A waste of money that was. Yeah, um, I mean, it's only when Belshaw comes out the side for a period of time and then comes back in that you realise it was always pretty obvious. But was, you realise what he actually brings to the rest of the team. But I think the other thing that Belshaw's brought as well is not just his his actual goalkeeping technically, but also he's just a presence and he's vocal and he's an experienced player who has no issues with bollocking the defenders if he needs to. And he's, he sort of leads them and organizes them and shouts and makes his voice heard. Whereas I think Balcom came in and understandably as a young player on loan dropped in, not knowing any of the players just didn't have that same kind of authority in the team. And it was a young backline anyway, who I think needed someone experienced behind them who could shout and organise them. And Balcom just wasn't doing that. And as I said, it's not anything against him. They're just two men at the opposite ends of their career who probably, he probably doesn't have the confidence to do that like Belshaw does. And that's fair enough. But you've noticed that Belshaw's come back in and you can hear him and he's shouting at Connolly and shouting at Gibson and telling them where to go. And I just think they needed it. And it's just, yeah, it's made a big difference. Um, The next man I want to come on to is Bogart, who we were obviously doing our um, very underwhelming Twitter space on deadline day in January. I think it's fair to say that we were all pretty underwhelmed with Bogart coming in. Um, Sort of like, who the hell is this bloke? Hasn't played a senior game. All thinking that he was probably just going to be sat on the bench and not make many appearances between now and the end of the season. But Kaz, I'll come to you first. I think that he made a couple of promising cameos, first of all. And then in the last sort of three or four games or so, this run that we're talking about here, I think he's really kind of established himself in the middle of midfield. And you just can't really see him being dropped now. The way he's playing, he's given us so much energy in midfield and he gets into tackles. um, And he's become sort of one of the first names on the team sheet for me. Yeah, me too. I think... Yeah, every week he has to start now. He's come in and just slotted into the side. Like we say about Balcom coming in and there was a sense that he didn't really feel confident enough to like um, slot himself into the team and start commanding and, and things like that. But I think... Bogard and Ward, sorry if you've got a separate section for Ward. I don't Um, have a Ward section. Okay, great. So I think both of them, um, although it was a very underwhelming window as a whole, I think the pair of them coming in have actually made quite a big difference. Um, And Bogard, despite the mistake yesterday for the the Wickham goal, um, I do think... A bobble on the pitch, according to Barton. Yeah, I was looking closely on the highlights and I couldn't see that bobble. But um, Bogard, yeah, absolutely 
doesn't deserve to be dropped anytime soon. Um, And it just goes to show that it's pointless looking up their wiki (laughs) and seeing what their experience is because um, it's a few times this has happened now. And um, I'm going to say, we never learned, do we? Billy, we looked at his wiki and we're like, who the fuck's this kid? We don't need him. Get get Sirkin back. Just We just don't know anything. Why are we doing this podcast? I just don't know what we're doing here. Well, one man who I'm sure that Barton did know a bit more about when he brought in is big Johnny Marquis, who I want to talk about next. Uh, He's been a bit in and out the side this season. Obviously, we've got four, maybe five strikers in the squad and he's been rotated and he's had a few injuries. But um, Kaz, I think the last sort of four games or so, probably including the Burton defeat, to be fair, Marquis has been sort of the main striker up front with other players rotating to partner him. Um, And I just think we've seen a bit of a transformation in him, really. He's gone from someone who, when he signed, was kind of a goal poacher who didn't really get involved in the rest of the game. Um, Scored the odd goal, but, you know, there was not much link-up play or anything like that. But I know Barton's mentioned uh, that he's kind of put Marquis on a different gym program and basically, I think, bulked him up and turned him into a bit more of a target man. And you can 100% see it in the way he's playing now, can't you? He's just He looks like a different animal. Yeah, it, it sort of um, sunk in for me properly at Forest Green where I just thought, yeah, like he's he's like top form at the moment. And I honestly think we do have one of the best strike forces in the league. I know Barton said it a couple of times and people can can laugh and say he's arrogant which he is but it is it is good um and Collins obviously he, he was top scorer he's kind of gone off form a little bit now um and Coburn early days him and Collins were absolutely incredible but now Marquis has come in and it's nice to have that competition between Coburn and, and Marquis um or the or the option of them playing together um but I do feel like Coburn has dropped off a little bit um and this is exactly the time that we needed Marquis to bulk out and and step up, and he has done that. If only we had this Johnny Marquis right at the start. He had he showed a turn of pace against Forest Green that I didn't even know he had in him mm. for that goal where he sort of sold the defender, burst past him, finished so clinically. Uh, you know, I don't think I've seen that from him in his entire career, and he suddenly f- found another level of pace at thirty or whatever he is. He just and he's so strong. He's flicking it on. He's holding it up. I just think overall, he's just been so valuable and he works so hard. I don't think I've seen another striker for us just work as hard as he does. He just runs and presses and runs the channels. And um, yeah, I just think he's been absolutely superb. Um, and that, that, that goal as well, that that one that he scored where he sort of goes on, his, he sort of you know comes on his left foot and scores. I mean, it was a goal from, from the moment he beat the defender. You just knew this was going to end up in the back of the net. But, but as Kaz said, like, it, it just showed the strength of all three of them. Like Coburn wins the ball back. Collins instantly plays the ball into Marquis and then Marquis beats his man, scores. And it's like the perfect front three. Well, let's come on to McCormick then. So it was my last talking point on this little three-game run before we move on to Wickham. So um, yeah, I mean, don't need to tell anyone what happened against Forest Green, but McCormick came on on the 80-odd minute, um, got booked for an off-the-ball challenge, gave away a penalty, and then was subbed off, I think, nine minutes after coming on. Um, I think, you know, some of us thought he might have had an injury maybe, but then Barton made it pretty clear in his post-match interview that that wasn't the case. Um, Yeah, Kaz, not the first time that Barton's uh, come out publicly and slaughtered one of the players in the press, let's say. Uh, Won't be the last time, I'm sure, as Collins found out last night. Um, What did you make of, I mean, A, the decision to do it, and then B, the decision from Barton to 
do what he did in the media afterwards. Yeah, I think the the decisions to do it, I understand. He was close to getting a second yellow. You know, he might he could have easily got one for that penalty that he gave away. So I understand from a manager's point of view, taking them off because he clearly lost his head as soon as he'd come on. I don't know what, what was going on with him. Um, but well, we, that- were, we were watching it and saying, McCormick, this was before he got taken off. Mm. We were like, McCormick looks like a walk-in red card. Yeah. So I, I totally get why, why Barton did it, because you don't want to, A, go down to 10 men when, you know, there's still still time um, to come back. And um, B, you don't want to lose a player for the next game. So I do 100% get why he did it when it was looking likely that he could get a second yellow there. Um, and with the, yeah, the coming out in radio interviews and slating the players, I just don't get what good it can do. Um, unless the players are very headstrong and they can take it on the chin, which none of us know that they might be, but I just think if it was me and I was sat at work in a meeting with the whole company and my manager called me out and said that I I wasn't doing a good job. And that's on a smaller scale because that would just be within the company. I'd be absolutely devastated and I'd have no motivation to go on and like uh, and sort of like work harder from that. I'd be so pissed off. For me, I do worry that the more he keeps doing this, the more he's going to make enemies in that dressing room. Um, how can any player, and with Collins last night, how can any player listen to that and feel supported? That like the manager is there to support you and, and help you to progress. So... I, I disagree with it hugely, personally. Um, but I guess if it was working and it, it gave them a kick up the ass and then they came back even better next week, then we wouldn't be complaining so much. But we're not seeing that. So for me, I, I don't think he should do it and he should keep it behind closed doors. Um, but I'd much rather a manager who who bigs up his players, supports them, helps them to to be better than just to call them out and throw them under the bus in, in public. I think for McCormick... He's not. He's had a shit season, absolutely shit season. There's no getting away from it. He came in as a bit of a fanfare sign-in and it hasn't worked so far. I think it still could, but so far it hasn't. But for him, it's humiliating enough being subbed on as an impact sub when you're winning late in a game and then being subbed off. Um, you know, I've watched football for 29, 30 years. I can probably count on two fingers the amount of times I've seen that happen. And one of them was McCormick at Forest Green. <laughs> so it doesn't happen very often. And there's a reason for that because it's absolutely humiliating for the player. So I think that would have been a strong enough message from Barton to McCormick and to the fans to say he wasn't happy with McCormick. He could have given a very sort of straight bat answer in the interview when they said, was it because he's injured? He could have said, no, I wasn't happy with his performance and left it at that. But it's always that going one step further and saying, you know, he's been relegated twice in the last two seasons and playing like that, you can see why. I just think you don't need to do that. And it's just always going that one step too far, I think, that maybe it'll work with McCormick. Who knows? It's it's worked with a couple of players in the past, but I just think it's a big gamble to do this constantly to players who are probably popular and have mates in the dressing room. And um, yeah, completely get bringing him off, but just... As I said last week, shut the fuck up and manage the team. And it just does my head in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with both of you, really. that It's not my ideal of, you know, proper man management. And to, to Barton's credit, he did say, like, you know, there's there's right ways and wrong ways to do it. And this is my way. I'm, the, I'm just honest with you. You know, so if I think you're rubbish, I'll tell you you're rubbish. And I'll, you know, 
I'll just, you, you got to know that I'm telling you the truth and I'm not going to sort of tell you you're great when you're not, but I will when you play well, et cetera. And that, 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 that was his reasoning behind kind of digging out Collins last night. But it just feels very much like whenever things go slightly wrong, it's I've got to blame someone else. I mean, I, I don't like the digging out of individual players. Um, he did it to Luke Thomas last season, right when it was quite public that Luke Thomas had been through some pretty dark times in his in his life. So it was a big risk to kind of go to the media and say he's not been good enough. He's not, but it did kind of have a positive effect on Luke Thomas. So it, it it's almost it's almost like it it shows to Barton this kind of tactic works, but everyone's different and it just feels like everyone is in the firing line um to, and to kind of pick on Collins and he sort of said to get in the Wells team you need to be setting the division on fire and I thought he kind of has Collins I don't know what more he can do um to to not set the, the league on fire he's he's doing kind of doing all he can um but yeah so not not my style but um, you know, I, I I hope that those individual players don't feel too uh, left out in the cold for it. Let's um let's go on to the Wickham game then and chat about that in a bit more detail because there's plenty of talking points from that. Um, before we actually chat about the football that we saw last night, um, I want to start by chatting about the fans and the atmosphere um, because we obviously had a female ref at the Mem last night and. To be honest, I went into it feeling a bit apprehensive and anxious because I think it was kind of depressingly predictable. Some of the comments that you heard from fans around you and some of the chants that came out of the Blackthorn ends last night. And obviously, Kaz, I know it's a topic that you're passionate about and close to your heart for obvious reasons. So I'll come to you in a minute on it. But I just think from my point of view, I just thought it was embarrassing and cringy and just not funny and... I just, like I said, it was depressingly predictable because I went into that game knowing that unless Rovers won that game, the female ref was going to get just some awful things said about her and sung about her. And it's 2023, and I just think people need to grow up a little bit and not be such bellends, basically. Um, Yeah, Kaz, let's have your thoughts. How do I start with it, honestly? Um... I'll probably go as far as to say, like, for me, it was the worst experience I've had as in terms of like fan base and the way that the fans were, the the atmosphere, the hostility. Obviously, we haven't had um, a female ref at the men before. So it was a first. um, It was a moment in history. So um, I was the same as you. I was extremely apprehensive going into it because I I knew what was going to come and um, my role with her game too, I knew that I would be getting women coming to me if they felt, uh, well, women and men, if they felt uncomfortable um, by what was going on. So I, I was sort of ready for it in a way, which is depressing enough. Um, but what I wasn't expecting was to have to actually confront someone on the things that they were saying. And it it was getting to the point where They were shouting things that were horrendously inappropriate, something that would never be shouted to a man. And I didn't say anything, but if you say an outrageous comment, you're going to get people's heads turning and looking at you. What do you honestly expect? So he said something so awful and me and Lucy both turned around and it was at that point he'd clocked who we were 
And from then on, it was a bit more targeted towards us because he then started shouting, oh, yeah, her game too, her game too. He's saying it really loud, constantly trying to make a point that like, basically saying that her game two is a load of bollocks and because the ref is shit and all that sort of stuff um so at that point I had to say something I mean from my point of view if you're there shouting the name of the campaign that we both run right next to us you want a reaction right um so I did I asked him you know what what is the problem like can you stop um and it was a very intimidating situation he was there with a load of blokes around his eight like same age as him and he they were laughing and it was quite difficult because it was just me and um Lucy was next to me but I was just asking him to stop you know I wasn't saying anything aggressive and then there was a woman that was with him which I can only assume was his wife and she starts shouting at me you know get over it all that sort of stuff I'll just watch the game he didn't do anything wrong um and as she's a woman that sort of made it a bit harder um but credit to the couple behind me. So there was a man and a woman behind me who I assume were a couple. Um, and they both spoke to me and they said, oh, thank you for doing that. Um, the the girl said to me that he's made her feel really uncomfortable. And she wonders, you know, what, why am I even here is what she said to me. And that, that for me, is just like, it, it just felt depressing because I feel like I've been working so hard on the Her Game 2 messaging Um for, for the club but nationwide um and I see all the positivity coming from other clubs and I feel like at Rovers it's like maybe that is why it's originated from a gas ed because it's really bad um or maybe I'm just in the wrong area and the Thatcher's end in particular is bad and I came home feeling very depressed deflated I couldn't focus on the game um and I was actually quite relieved when I got home to read Twitter and see that other gas heads were feeling the same. And there were a lot of men calling it out. And um, there was a guy who I've sent a personal message to today thanking him for calling it out. Um, He put a tweet up saying that he was disgusted by it and that he sits with his daughter. So for him, it's it's quite a, a, a big thing for him to hear this sort of stuff. And I saw the comments and there was like, 10, 12 replies, and I was quite anxious that it was just going to be abuse towards him. But actually, it was a lot of Rovers fans saying that they all felt the same, that they were disgusted. There were people saying, like, I, I don't want to renew my season ticket if this how is this is how fans behave. There's people saying they don't want to bring their nephew and niece to games. Um, people saying that they were stood with their daughter and their daughter heard it. It's just depressing. And it's it's just like it's basic, right? Say what you want about the ref. And this is the thing. This guy kept saying, can't say anything, can't say anything after I confronted him. Yes, you can, mate. You could say whatever you want as long as you're not discriminating. Don't say anything about gender. Don't say anything about race. Don't say anything about sexual orientation. Just focus on them being a referee and focus on their performance. That's all you need to do. To me, that is so simple. And I don't get how members of our fan base do not understand And what they don't understand, the main thing for me, is if you discriminate against someone based on a quality they have that's out of their control, so whether that's gender or or race or sexual orientation or anything like that, you're not just offending that one person. You're offending everyone else that falls into that category in the fan base. So as a woman, 
were, were women, all women in that fan base were, were hearing these comments. And it feels like a personal attack on us too, because it is kind of like that's that's how you see us. Like it's it's so derogatory and it's awful. And some of the ones that are um there, there's chance of like, you know, sexual nature and it's it's rapey. It's it's horrible and it's scary as a woman to hear like those sorts of chants towards and like seeing these women as a piece of meat. And I thought Rebecca, you know, I thought she did a good job, but I think she was probably on par with a lot of referees we had. I don't think she was much worse, and I don't think she deserved that abuse or, or those things said to her. And the the stuff that's like sexual towards her, it it is just so so demoralizing and derogatory. And yeah, I, I just I just hate it and um sorry I've gone on a bit bit long here but it's just you you all know what I'm fighting for and I'm trying to make that change and it just felt like one positive step forward with having a female ref and then it was like 10 steps back with the way the fan base acted um and yeah it's it's deflating I I am considering just maybe trying next season to get to stand somewhere else um and not in the Thatcher's end because I personally struggle to cope with it but yeah, that's my that's my piece on it. It's probably taken up the whole hour, but there you go. No, very well said. Um, I don't have anything else to add. Just you know, I hope the people doing the the chanting and making the comments last night just think a little bit more about their actions in future and how it impacts other people. But then they probably don't have a brain cell to rub between them, so it's probably asking a bit much. So, yeah, go on, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I mean just to just to kind of reiterate what you've said, Kaz. I mean, it's um. It's such a pathetic sort of situation to be in. It's a bit disappointing, really, that the club haven't actually come out and said something tonight uh, or yesterday. Because I, I, I mean, I was I stand on the East Terrace, and it, it wasn't it wasn't so bad there, but there was a definite vibe of any decision that she might have made, good or bad. It was like there was a comment about it. It was like a oh even even the positive stuff was kind of like slightly like pat on the head oh you know actually it's it's not not too bad she does kind of know what she you know she does know football it's kind of like don't be ridiculous like this is a trained professional and and as you said I thought I thought she did a a pretty solid job I didn't think there was anything I actually didn't even I went to the game and didn't even realize. We had a female referee until about the twentieth minute. I'm like, oh right, okay, and, and like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's the point. It, mm. it wasn't actually a focus for me at all. Um, but you know, I mean, pe- people calling out, you know, this kind of thing. I mean, you got to feel you got to feel for them, really. I mean, what kind of what kind of existence is that? And um, you know, if 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 I hear stuff like that, I I should do more myself, you know. And I think we should all do more to try and stamp it out. But it's uh, it's difficult in this uh, toxic masculinity. That I mean, football is just it thrives that kind of thing. And um, and yeah, maybe we should all do a bit more for it. But um, but you're doing a fantastic job. Well. Sorry to move off that onto the much more trivial matter <laughs> that is Rovers losing 2-0 on the pitch, but um, 
let's go through the game then. So I'll just start with the stats. So possession was 61% to Rovers, 39% to Wickham. Shots, 21 for Rovers, 15 for Wickham. Shots on target, six for Rovers, eight for Wickham. Big chances, three for Rovers, one for Wickham. And then the XG was 1.61 for Rovers, 1.42 for Wickham. Um, so Mike, I'll come to you first on it. Um, as I said earlier, really, I think first half in particular, I don't think we played that badly. You know, I think the big chances, other than the Hanlon goal, obviously, which was due to an error slash bobble of the ball on the pitch, I thought we were mainly the side on top. Um, we created two or three really good chances. I know Coburn had a couple of one-on-ones, tried to pass one of them across to Marquis, and the other one was saved. So I just thought we looked quite bright. And I think the thing with the Hanlon goal was not only how it was conceded in terms of the error, uh, but also the timing of it, because we were having a really sort of bright spell at that point and knocking on the door. And it was a bit of a sucker punch, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I felt really confident going into the game thinking, well, we've sort of recovered our form a little bit and Wickham have lost their manager. They seem to have come unstuck. And then, like you say, we actually didn't look too bad. It looked like a, I, I thought it was a really good game overall, actually, like the, the amount of chances that both sides had. It was it was a pretty good game. And, and I didn't think there was an awful lot wrong with how we played. Um, but they they were just clinical and we weren't. And we we aren't a side that we do score a lot of goals, to be fair, but we aren't a side that create that much, it feels like. It feels like we create chances and we take them. And when, when you don't take them, that's a real, that's really unlike us. Coburn had a couple of really good chances first half where he runs through and you think, you know, earlier in the season he had a bag that no no problem. And he, he seems to be just trying to find his feet again. Um, but yeah, just generally it was okay, not bad, still in the game. And I thought, you know, Sinclair was looking all right. And then half time, the changes come in. And I thought that that was a really, I, mean, I, I must admit at the time, I thought, blimey, we're going with four strikers on the pitch. This is either going to be, I, I did think we we could get hammered here because we've seen it before where he had changed things around. And we throw everyone forward and we just suddenly com- you know, go completely unstuck. But it didn't really happen like that. We actually started the second half quite well before, you know, again, maybe against a run of play, but they scored out, you know, is is a good goal, really. It's good, good cross, good header, goal, terrible defending. And you just sort of think, like, I, I would say that those changes at half time kind of held us back after that. We just couldn't. The, the fact that he brings he brings Glenn Whelan on 10 minutes to go, almost like a, he takes Coburn off, brings Whelan on, almost like a, yeah, this hasn't worked playing all these strikers. It's like we need, we actually need somebody to drop back a little bit and, and pick the ball up so we can actually pass it around. Um, I I just think that, that, that it's a positive of Barton that he will change things when he thinks he needs to, because we've had so many managers in the past that, that love a kind of plan A, this is how we play, we're not changing it. And people have always criticised managers like that, like they, they never change it when we're, you know, in fact, sometimes Clark, Clark was a little bit like that, but he'd often just pull players off after 20 minutes. You know, he, he was like that, and we we love that kind of about managers who are willing to think on their feet. But I just thought those changes were strange, and I thought it killed us eventually in the second half. But overall, it was just a good game, and because there's 
I don't, you know, touch wood. We're not in too much trouble. It was okay. I'll, I'll just move on to the next game, I think. Yeah, I wanted to come on to the, the halftime changes and how we played in the second half because I found it so weird that we had played, I think, as I said, I think quite well in the first half. And I was stood there at halftime thinking, all right, I think if we kind of play like that again in the second half, going towards the Thatchers, all we need is to get the first goal in the second half, get it back to one all. And we all know what then the Thatchers, you know, everyone gets up and we've seen the revivals we've had shooting that way, especially this season. Um, but instead, he brought off Connolly, who to be fair, I don't think had had a, a great first half. I, th- I do think he looks in a very tough patch of form at the moment. I'm sure he'll come back, but he's not having a great time of it at the moment. So bringing him off is fair enough. I think Sinclair also came off at halftime, who I'm imagining was injured. So brings those two off. I know the bench, there wasn't loads of options there. I think we even had one man short of our seven quota on the bench because of the illness and injuries going through the squad. So we are going through a bit of a a rough, rough time of it in terms of availability. But there were other options other than sticking our three six foot plus blokes up front and just twatting it forward at every possible opportunity. And it was like we just turned into like Tony Pulis's Stoke at halftime. And it was just the weirdest lineup I've ever seen. You had Ward pretty much in midfield on his own. Um, Evans came on and was kind of playing on the right wing, I thought. Collins wasn't right up front, but also wasn't really playing as a number 10. I have no idea where Collins was playing second half. I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't think he had any idea where he was playing. He was kind of a hybrid of about five different positions, but doing none of them very well. And then, like I said, you had Marquis, Collins and Loft stood up front. And sometimes Marcus would be out on the wing, sometimes Loft would be out there. You had Coburn on the left wing at times, which is probably the last place on the pitch I'd want to see Coburn is on the wing because he isn't that type of player. Neither's Marquis, neither's Loft. It was, and we just, as I said, we'd get the ball. And unlike in the first half, where we'd at least try and play it through the midfield and get some moves going, we'd just launch it up the pitch and just hope that one of the big people up front can head it on and that something can drop to us. It felt like there was no game plan other than let's just twat it as hard as we can at the three giants up front and hopefully one of them flicks it on and something breaks from it. Um, Yeah, as you can tell, I wasn't the biggest fan of what he did at halftime. What what were you going to say, Mike? No, no, you're right. It's... It's kind of ironic, really, because you know Barton was in the first game saying, "Oh, you know, I would never want to play like they play." You know, we got our brand of football, you know, and I wouldn't have any of their players, blah blah blah. And yet, that second half yesterday was almost like he just went, "I'm going to try and do what they do and just be as physical and just as anti-football as possible." It was um, like we tried to out Wickham, Wickham, <laughs> yeah, Wick, yeah. Wickham and last night. We're nowhere near as direct as we were in the second half. Yeah, and and to to be fair, they played some really decent stuff at times. I know they got a different manager, and maybe they are trying to be a bit more, you know, um, you know, footballing based. But um, yeah, they 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 looked pretty good on that pitch. Dare I say? Um, the, the, whereas we, it didn't matter what the pitch, that ploughed field, surely. Yeah, didn't matter what the pitch was like for us because the ball was just constantly fifty feet in the air, so it, it it didn't really matter to us. I didn't think. Yeah, I thought to be fair to Wickham, I agree with you. I think they had a couple of uh, really tidy looking players. McCleary, uh, yeah, definitely on the wing, 
just absolutely tore us apart a few times. Um, Lewis Wing in midfield, their number 10, I thought looked really bright. Hanlon, like you said, looked like Pele. At times, he also looked absolutely awful, I thought. Yeah. You know, he goes from donkey to it was, know, Maradona in, in the space of 10 seconds. Somehow. It was a very it was a very typical Hanlon performance, I thought. And, and we did see this, this side of Hanlon every now and then during that season where, I mean, it was a perfectly, like, typically... Um, emphatic goal that he scores like it's just total power it's like you know this is either going to end up in the car park or he's going to put it in the, you know in the bottom corner and he did exactly it's almost like I'm just going to hit this as hard as I can and it goes in fair play but then there were a few times where it was like you know that brilliant first touch or he'd completely fluff it and you know he'd fall over or something he, he, we saw everything of Hamlin it was like a real throwback to the pandemic when uh, when I was watching him play last night but fair play to I was kind of you know got no bitterness towards Hanlon if we you know it's good to see him do well just to, just it's a shame as our expense really yeah definitely um Kaz we were watching the highlights of this game before we came on air and the second goal the bloke who crosses it in just has pretty much oh he just has so much space to get that cross in it's infuriating watching it back and seeing five Rovers men in the box on the side that he's crossing it in from, who any of them could make some slight bit of effort to go out and close him down. And just no one goes anywhere near him. And he has all the time in the world to pick out that cross. And it was just so easy, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, just summed it up, really. I mean, like, yeah, it's frustrating. And we've seen it a few times where we're just giving them so much space. And then it was just a simple cross. And then, it, like, no one really challenged the the goal scorer either. And he just simple header into the back of the net. And from the Thatcher's end, you can't really see very well. Um, so you're kind of infuriated at the time. But then when you watch it back, you're like 10 times more infuriated. It's just like, it's so basic. He's there like running into the box and not one of them, like you said, not one of them even thinks to close him down. And it's just so easily preventable for me. But um, yeah, it's I- frustrating. I couldn't believe it. Like, but he's got the ball out wide. I'm thinking, and all I can see, all I can see is Rovers players in the box. I can't even see the Wickham player and the ball gets whipped in and it's just like, it just ends up in the corner. I was like, who How the hell was found that? him? Yeah. I thought it must be an own goal. Like, I couldn't, couldn't believe it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was that, that classic, you know, poor defending from us that we've seen all season. It, it's like we can play really well defensively for 85 minutes, but there'll be a couple of moments in that game we'll just give the opposition a, a golden opportunity. But yeah, I couldn't believe that was 2-0. And then that was the game, really. That was it. Yeah, I mean, the one big chance that we had in the second half to get back into it was obviously uh, Lofty's flicked header, came off the post, falls to Marquis, who... <laughs> The keeper pulls off an amazing save, but you'd he like does. to think he should give him no chance really to save it. And he does. And it is a brilliant save, to be fair. And then I think it then falls back to Marquis, who kind of tries a bicycle kick and it goes wide. Um, and yeah, Mike, I think when that didn't go in, I think probably all of us there just felt like we could just play all night and we're not scoring here, are we? It was just it just felt like that kind of night after that moment, really, I think. Exactly. Yeah, I felt the same. Like, well, that you know, that that's it. I mean, that save, I actually didn't realize 
I didn't even realise it hit the post. It, from my angle, it looked like that ball was just just going to go wide, and then obviously it hits the post. It flicks back up, and but I watched it back on the replay. That save, I don't, I don't know if you ever remember Jersey Dudek saving um, a chance from is it Shevchenko in the, in in the, the Champions League final, final yeah. where he's almost just kind of got his hand there, and it's it's like it's an unbelievable save, but you wonder how much he actually knew about it. It felt like that. It was almost like whoever it was, was it Marquis who had the effort or whoever yeah. it was, it's like the keeper's just kind of flung his arm up and it's, it's come off his arm and it's, it looks like an unbelievable save. But actually, did he even mean to do it? It was just, like you say, it, it just felt like it ain't going to be our night and, you know, we just got to move on to Saturday, I think. <laughs> yeah. What I wanted to come on to as well is some more Barton comments after the game. So um, there was... Two parts of it, really. So starting off with the pitch. Um, so, I mean, he's criticised it a few times this season. Um, and he did so again after this game. Um, he said things like that he'd told Gorringe and Wilde that if the pitch doesn't get fixed, then he'll have to recruit differently and play a different way and basically go a bit more long ball. Um, and said about how it might be better bringing in another coach who doesn't want grass on the pitch and wants to sort of go front to back really or back to front, sorry, really quickly. Um, And I was thinking, part of me wonders whether the way we played in the second half was almost Barton proving a point and sort of saying to Gorringe and Weil, well, look, look what happened in the first half where the the bobble gave away that first goal. We can't play the football I want to play on this pitch, so we're just going to smash it long and play absolutely no football at all. And... Yeah, I mean, Kaz, do you think that was Barton kind of proving a point? I mean, I'm sure he, part of him would have obviously felt like it was a way to play to get back into the game. He wouldn't have sabotaged the result, I'm sure. But I do think that knowing the man he is, part of him would have thought, wow, I'm going to play like this in the second half, a way we've never played. Under Barton in the last two years, never once have I seen us just put three giants up front and smash it long every time. He doesn't want to do that. So it just felt very, very convenient that at the time he's slagging off the pitch, he then decides just to play no football in the second half. Mm. I mean, I don't know what's going on with the pitch. And I do kind of agree with him there, which is something I rarely do. Um, like, I don't know what's going on with it. We were meant to have one of the best pitches in the league. And now it's not draining very well. It, it, it's all cut up. I don't understand what's going on. And um, <clears throat> there's not really any explanation as to why it's, not up to standard. Um, so I do agree with him on that. And, and, you know, what, like, what is the reasoning for it? And why were we one of the only teams in the league to have a game off in January as well, when again, we're going to have a really good pitch. So um, I get that, but yeah, it, it does seem like a classic Barton thing to do to, to make that point. Um, but I would hope that he wouldn't sacrifice the result um, for the sake of making that point. But then, well, Probably. I think what I would compare it to is you remember under DC where he wanted the board to open the wallet a bit more because he was saying the squad wasn't strong enough in League One and we went away to Charlton and basically played the second <laughs> string. And yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure DC knew going away to Charlton and playing Liam Lawrence and <laughs> I can't remember who was in midfield Liam Lawrence. It might well have been me or you. It was an awful team. Yeah, I'm sure he knew that that was going to cost him the result. I don't, as I said, I don't think Barton did that last night, but... It just seems... I could see why you think that though, because it's it's a classic of what he would do. I mean, the season is 
pretty much dead we just got to get to that 50 points but like I don't know it it does sound like something he would do but again it's like is is the pitch that bad like I I agree it doesn't look that bad yeah it's not up to its usual standard um so from my point of view me saying you know I I agree with him on the pitches and like as if to say it's not up to his usual standard but you think about what we used to play on when we used to have Bears playing like you know that it's not really an excuse to to not be playing good football. And like you said, yeah, it's not, it's not hundred percent, but it's playable. And there's like Wickham could win on it. Why can't we win on it? You know, to me, the forest green pitch looked 10 times worse. Yeah. Watching on yeah. iFollow. I know it's, yeah. All right. It's easy to say, stood in the black thumb with a cheese on him passing that the pitch <laughs> isn't that bad, but to the eye, it doesn't look anywhere near as bad as that forest green pitch was that had clearly visible patches of, no grass on and the weather that day was awful it was raining so hard it must have been sort of quite a boggy sticky pitch I don't think the men pitch looked anywhere near as bad as that last night we played pretty well at Forest Green played some nice football on the floor two of our goals were scored by playing nice football on the floor and yet last night some of the stuff we were playing second half made Coughlin Ball look like Pep's Barcelona like it was as basic and as route one as it gets i mean some of the pitches we played on under trollop when we shared with the rugby yeah there was sometimes there was not a single blade of grass on that pitch (laughs) and it was awful it It was absolutely awful and you look at that pitch now and yeah maybe it's not the bowling green it has been at times but it's fine you can Mm -hmm. still play football on that you don't need to play like we did in the second half on that pitch because wickham didn't all right, good stuff. Let's finish with a quick preview of the Pompey game on Saturday then at the Mem. Um, so Pompey currently sat 10th in League One, nine points outside the playoffs, and they're having a bit of a revival and upturn in their results under uh, John Massinho, who replaced the Cowley brothers back in January. Um, so Kaz, I think we probably all know that it'll be a tough game and that they'll bring a sort of big and vocal following to the Mem. So it should be a good atmosphere, hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, how do you see this one going, I guess? I think going into it, for all of us, we know the season's dead. Any chance of like playoff hopes are gone. Um, so for us, it's there's not much reason for us to go in sort of like all guns blazing, all fired up. However, I'm hoping that the Pompey fans will be so rowdy that they'll wind us up and then we'll want to like win purely to get them to shut up, you know? So I, I'm hoping actually it'll be a quite a, a competitive game still, um, despite the fact that, um, we don't really have much. Obviously, like still going for safety, like I said earlier. But you would hope that, like Mike said, touch wood, that we are we will be safe this season. Um, so yeah, for us, it's a bit of a it's not much riding on it. But I do think that with the atmosphere Pompey will bring and just the desire to stop them from winning will be enough to get our fans behind the team. And I can see it being quite close actually. I think with the Wickham game. There's a different vibe in the fan base for a variety of reasons, um, but it's different on a Saturday. And when you've got a bigger club coming to them, um, I do think that the fans turn it up and then so do the players as well. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping it'd be quite close as well because we've got the the Her Game 2 fixture. We've got 16 new women come into the game. Um, so women and girls. So we've got a variety of ages. So I'd really love for them to see some sort of like competitive goal fest. So, yeah, fingers crossed that the players are up for it and the fans are up for it and it can be a, a good competitive day out. <laughs> 
seven a good day out. Day out. <laughs> what what do uh, what do you think about this one, Mike? Do you reckon we're at the stage where we can start experimenting a little bit, or do you think we've still got to go with the strongest eleven and and try and grind out some points towards safety? Yeah, I, I don't mind just trying new things. I mean, you know, I know I criticised it a minute ago um, you know, by doing <laughs> it on forty five minutes, but I, I I do think I do think I'm I'm okay with it. And actually, if you know, I, I would still like to see maybe a couple of like maybe Jerry Lawrence or someone like that get a few minutes before the end of the season. I, I know that we always say that about young players who are kind of on the fringes, but it'd be great to see one or two of them come through. Um, but yeah, I am looking forward to the game, and I think I always like it when uh, you know a club brings down like loads of fans. I always think it just just adds to the atmosphere, like you say, Kaz. It just it triggers the rest, it tr- triggers everyone else. You think right, they, you know they're making a load of noise, so we've got to kind of respond. And you just hope that that then feeds into the game. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, to, you know Portsmouth, you know big club. It's always it's always good playing big clubs, and we've got plenty of them uh, before the end of the season. So. It's going to be very interesting, I think, this run this run that we're on and lots of opportunity to pull off some good results and just generate some, you know, positive feeling again. Um, so, yeah, and I wouldn't put it past us either because I think we're actually not a bad side. But, yeah, I'd experiment where necessary, get a few younger lads kind of on the fringes and, and see what happens. Maybe put Balcom in for a few games. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Score predictions, Kaz. Two all. Two all, nice. Will it? Uh, I'll go two one Rovers. Ooh. Oh, very nice. I'll go two all as well. I reckon I can see there being goals in this. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, it's just got that feeling of a game that's going to have goals for some reason. Yeah, and that's. Pu- I honestly think that's purely down to the fans. <laughs> I think it will yeah. be like Mike said. It will feed into the game and they'll be getting it that they'll be up for it will be up for it and then every like attack will be like both sets of fans like raring their team on to go on and score and I hope so anyway and we'll say all this and it'll be nil nil flat as flat as you like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no atmosphere two shots on target two- in, in the whole game <laughs> yeah yeah all right well all right lovely stuff let's leave it there um thank you very much to everyone for listening as always and we will be back in a couple of weeks time so um yeah as i said at the start of the pod go check out weeksy's uh, gofundme page chuck a few quid in there if you can um keep going weeksy and uh, we will speak to you all very soon up the gas up the gas up the gas up the gas